you know, the, the best players in the world, they're, they're so thankful. They're thankful for, for all the help they've received. They're thankful for the opportunity to play. Uh, they're thankful for the, the facility that allows them to practice. Um, so, so being thankful and being able to take a step back and look at all the great things that they have uh, around them, regardless of what number they may shoot that day or, or where they are on the leaderboard, they have the ability to take a step back and just be thankful. Welcome to the Pure Golf Collective. We are your hosts, Carter Bennett and John Roy. Together through this, we bring a new lens on themes of development, performance, and process. The idea of the collective is to investigate and celebrate the intrinsic values of golfers and the obsession to the purity of the game. The collective is not just who we hear on this podcast, but any person invested into growth and connection to golf. We are golfers celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. And welcome back to the Pure Golf Collective. We are on round two, episode number three. Today we got an awesome guest joining us for a discussion on development and performance. We are very excited to share this discussion with Rishi Thacker, who John sat down with earlier in the summer to catch up and dive into his journey progressing in this beautiful game. A little bit of housekeeping on the Pure Golf Collective form on the website. We are doing the picture of the week contest and we have our first official winner submitting a great picture of himself at the Ontario College Championships. Nathaniel Coombs, a dedicated member of the GPC community who supports John with many of the camps and programs that John is doing out of Coppinwood. So Nathaniel, congrats. We will be in touch with you uh, with a little prize, a little award for your efforts. Uh, brand new Lululemon Active Tea. And thanks again for contributing. Last week, we touched on this idea or skill within development that is crucial to the progression and the success that any person interested in getting better could perhaps start to explore and put into practice of their own. Visualization being one of the key skills and particularly the the visualization script as a, as a tool or a strategy in helping the golfer have more, more directionality on their journey and also in hopes to have more ease and flow within a performance environment. And there was one key thing that I you know, came up over the last week with some dialogue that I had with uh, my players and the importance of visualization uh, attached to particularly motor skill development. Uh, so that is, you know, getting better at swinging the club and hitting the ball, let's call it, developing the ability to strike a little piece of metal to a little white rubber. It is very important and there is very good science to support the practice of reflection in motor skill acquisition. Now, what the, the reflection is really providing is this visualization of the experience. As we finish a training session, we now reflect looking back 
on the session, we move from, or more likely anyway, to move from B to A in that we started out the session at A, we worked for 45 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes, whatever it may be. And then we finish up, we wrap up and we reflect on that now. And I strongly recommend getting some pen to paper. But while you do so, your mental imagery or the visualizations that you have of the experience in reflection is working from B to A. And what that provides is a very cool second telling of the experience, which our nervous system will be able to hang on to certain things with a little more stickiness. That is the thing that is going to really start to allow change and growth or betterment of skill over time. Think of this stickiness as kind of the breaking down of the muscle, and then the muscle will rebuild in a recovery phase over the next couple of days, and you come out of that a little bit stronger or a little bit more skillful. This goes for all skill levels as well. doesn't matter if you are an elite ball striker or you're a beginner golfer. It is very important that you have this opportunity of reflection in visualizing the training session that you had to enhance the opportunity for growth. I was going there too in my Question, mind. John. Yeah, I was going there too in my mind. Um, the working backwards is the, is the simplest way to develop the skill of visualization scripts as well. So again, now we come to the corner here. So as a coach, we have now convinced our athlete that a visualization script will be valuable. And the athlete has identified a gap and a growth opportunity, which is, oh, wow, I don't do that very well or formally. And therefore that's a wonderful opportunity for me to grow. Uh, which is great. So now we've got that sort of buy-in. And so, so now it's the Brack's tasks of it, which is, okay, so how do we do this? And so my suggestion would be twofold. And number one, I'll read a sample script that I've written recently um, to, to kind of share like, okay, well, here's what, could, what, what it could be like. And I would recommend also that what I did to create this sample script was I looked back at a experience that I had had recently in the golf world. So this was uh, an, an, um, an example of, an, of a moment in a recent major championship of mine where I felt like this. And so the, the surest way to, to start building the visualization scripts is like you say, B to A to start. Go back to a thing you did yesterday and script it out, even the way you ate the dinner or the way you washed the dishes or whatever. Just try to be, 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 use your memory to draw out as many emotions and sensations as you can about the experience you have lived. And then you're, you're developing that capacity to create them. Then in the future, you'll be able to turn that from an, from a B to an A to an A to a B. And now you can start to project looking forward at like, like, here's what I hope will happen in the future, as opposed to here's what did happen in the past. Absolutely. As we build the practice out and develop the skills with this strategy, uh, these things will start to play out for, for us, particularly when we're in our performance environment. Um, unfortunately, it's not just doing this once or twice that will, you know, send us into these new profound experiences when we're in the moment, uh, let's say out on the, the 12th fairway um, in a competitive round, but creating a habit or a process around this over time will immensely complement and enhance your growth. As for John's visualization script, you guys can head over to the website and we are going to have that script posted on the website for you guys to enjoy there. So make sure you check that out. The link will be in the description with this show. Moving into our discussion with Rishi Thacker, 
who John got to sit down with at the beginning of the summer as we were just getting back into the swing of things. Uh, we are going to hear from a guy that has been around the golf world, um, all different levels, and really having some cool insights to the ins and outs and what development and performance looks like in this game. So let's jump into the discussion. Hi, Rishi. Morning, John. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks. How how you been? Yeah, you know what? Pretty good. Um, Now that events have kind of kicked off, it's a a really nice mix of being home in front of the computer, kind of managing orders and talking to players, and then getting out there and and managing some of the golf ball events that... uh, that Andrew Cox, who's our ball fitter, is is taking yep. on. So, you know, that's all really good stuff. Yeah. Well, that might be a perfect segue to get us started here, Rishi, which is, um, could, could you tell us a little bit about the role that you are presently holding and also your trajectory into this position? Absolutely. Um, so the current role, John, is golf ball fitting and player development representative. Uh, but what exactly that means is try to manage all of our golf ball fitting initiatives, mobile golf ball fitting van that goes from club to club hosting on-site fitting events. Um, and then there's a little bit of club fitting in there as well, cause it all goes hand in hand. And then on the player development side, uh, making sure that we have strong relationships with the highest performing uh, athletes here in Canada. So that's currently approximately 200 players uh, ranging from young junior boys and girls, uh, lifelong high-performing amateurs, aspiring professionals, and then even some players that are that are on the uh, McKenzie Tour or Form Tour, you know, and then players kind of leading all the way up to, to those who get Corn Ferry and then eventually PGA Tour status. Um, so really wide range of players. And, and what's so great about it for me is I get to talk to players who, you know, play, play two times a week at their local private club uh, or, or play once a week at, uh, on the weekends at the public facility. Uh, and then I get to talk to some of the best players in Canada. So it's, a, it's really great because I get a cross section of, of players um, in every single category. I can certainly uh, relate to that as, as well, Rishi. Just that I've always said that about my coaching as well, which is, you know, I, it's really fun to work with high performance. And I think there is obviously tremendous, you know, fruits of that labor. But it, it's also really, really fun to, to work across all the different demographics and all the different archetypes, as it were. I think uh, we're certainly aligned with that. It's, um, it's great to work with high performance, but every single golfer matters. And, and really the most rewarding piece, and, and not to get off topic on, on your question there, but... The most rewarding piece is when you take uh, the average golfer or the mid to high handicap golfer and you help them hit it that much higher uh, so that they can, you know, hold a green or you help them with, um, you know, with a driver that's going to spin at the appropriate number. Um, That's that's the most rewarding piece, I think, for me. Um, But to jump back into your question, you know, the the trajectory is uh, kind of an interesting one or, or how I got here is kind of an interesting one. I was a uh, typical, you know, young avid golfer who got dropped off at the local golf course in the morning and uh, would kick and scream before coming home because I didn't want to leave. Um, and then, and then it really turned into uh, loved playing the game, but there was something about the golf operation that really, you know, kept me around. Loved the idea of, you know, getting there before anyone else and and watching the sun come up and making sure the carts were all you know, lined up perfectly and dry seats were dried off. And, and those are the things that kind of got me going at a young age, um, was really lucky to work for a number of great people. And so learn very quickly, it's not necessarily where you work, but, but who you work for. 
Uh, and that was a, a key really for me because I tried to just soak in all the knowledge I could. Got an opportunity to join a Cushnet Canada and Titleist as a product specialist, you know, seasonal role where you go from club to club and, and provide a, a fitting experience. And that's really where I found uh, the, the true passion, which was, you know, a level of sales, but a level of um, being able to see different facilities, work with all different types of golfers. And at the end of the day, help them play better golf uh, through equipment that's dialed in and custom for them. And then, you know, mm-hmm. as continued to kind of uh, gain some traction on this side of the business, uh, had an opportunity to, to get involved in the golf ball side of things, which is um, obviously our biggest piece. And then the role kind of developed into, hey, I want to work with some better players. There was an opportunity to, to fill the player development role. And that's kind of how I got to where I am today. So long-winded answer, John, but it, it's been, a, I'll say, a, a positive road and a long road. It's important um, that, the, that, that I think our, um, our audience, and particularly the young, the young boys and girls I'm, I'm talking to now or whatever, that they understand the long-winded road that life brings us, um, I think, and that the, the long process, the long-term um, investments that we make into ourselves are what yield uh, a fruit. So I, so no, I, I think the long winded is the least of my surprise in that story. Um, I, in fact, it's quite comforting to hear that once again, you know, this process and this procedural work long-term piece that we look at with our athletes is, is true once again, you know what I mean? So it's, it's really cool. I, one of the, one of the language pieces we use with our players is, you know, it's important to have a lighthouse in the distance that you're rowing towards so that when you wake up and you just start rowing again, there's a purpose to it. There's a, there's a magnetic pull in the distance that's kind of encouraging us to just get one more oar in the water, one more pull. Um, would you suggest that working in player development um, and, and, and golf ball work and so on has, has been your lighthouse or is there still something beyond this or, or, or was this where you always thought you would be? Yeah, re- really good question. I, I, I love the, I love the language piece of, of the lighthouse. I think um, something I'll, I'll probably adopt uh, <laughs> if okay but you know to, to answer the question I think um, fair enough yeah <laughs> for, for me um, you know have I, have I reached the lighthouse I'm not, I'm not so sure um, that anyone ever can fully kind of you know drive the, the, the flag into the sand and say uh, I've reached the lighthouse for me it's really about you know consistent and, and continuous growth um, you know what what can I do today? Uh, that that's just a little bit better than yesterday and and last week and last month and and so on. So so for the lighthouse question it is a, I'll say a tough one because I still give it a lot of thought and and um, I think I'm guilty of always wanting more uh, to the point where sometimes that could be a detriment. But certainly very happy working with that group of players. And, and what's really nice is that this lighthouse conversation is one that we have all the time. Uh, when onboarding new players, you know, in, in player development, I want to know what, what their goals are, where do they see themselves um, and, and what their lighthouse is. And, and a lot of times what comes out of those conversations is, is non-golf talk. Uh, A lot of players, um, the successful ones, Mm -hmm. their, their lighthouse is not uh, shooting 65 and and making a cut uh, or, or gaining status on a tour. It's more about shoring up. Sure. The golf is important, but I've got some family commitments and I've got some long-term goals with my kids that I want to happen. Um, So that's, that's really the exciting piece. So that's, that is a part of the lighthouse question that I think is the most exciting. Yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, exactly. And and, and I bet you in your conversation, uh, you're almost, 
disturbed when the answer is overly extrinsic, which is, I just want to shoot a 65 someday or whatever. There's something missing, I guess, in that response, I would think, just knowing you now. I get a lot of questions about, you know, from high-performing athletes in particular, is, is in the player development model, I guess, this is, I'm not trying to make you blush or whatever, but like, why is Titleist so nice and so supportive of high-performance athletes? You know, what is that, that quality that you're looking for and why are you guys so generous in supporting player development? Yeah, I think... I think it really, you know, stems back to the, to the history of, of the company um, and, and, you know, senior management and leadership really wanting to be at the forefront of, of golf development um, and taking golfers to the next level, um, not just through, through fitting and providing them with, you know, the best product in the market, but providing them with the, the highest level of support. Um, of course, you know, support is performance-based, but when you kind of peel back the onion a little bit, you quickly realize that um, what we are doing in this space is actually helping golfers and families, uh, you know, continue to be able to chase the dream and be successful. Why is Titleist so generous? I, you know, a it's it's obviously a part of the model that works. Uh, we take a, an approach um, with our pyramid of influence, uh, how we seed product, how we bring product to the market. We want to make sure that, you know, first and foremost, the product is going to meet the needs of the highest performing athletes. So PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, the best players in the world, you know, typically get their hands on new product first. They test it, they validate it, provide us with some feedback. Um, you know, if we need to go back to the lab for any reason, that can also happen. Um, and then we filter down the pyramid of influence, right? So then it's the, the, the highest performing amateurs and aspiring professionals. Um, and then it's the, the consumer facing influential uh, player, people in the industry, like the, the head golf professional, like the, the great coaches out there like yourself. Um, and then, it, then it's the dedicated golfer. So if you look at player development, it, it really falls um, and meets and matches that pyramid of influence um, model. And so that's really where, where the idea comes from of, hey, let's, let's get out in front of the best performing athletes. Let's provide them with, um, at the very minimum, golf balls to use for their competitive events. Um, as performance uh, improves and as the relationship improves, we can start adding in some more components to the support piece, whether that's some gloves, whether that's a pair of shoes, multiple pairs of shoes, um, drivers, wedges, those, those are all things that we can do to help kind of help the player play better golf, but also uh, build confidence and, and let the player know that uh, while golf is an individual sport, uh, there is a team uh, backing them and, and wanting them mm -hmm. to be successful as possible. Rishi, in, in your recent talks, let's say, you know, with high-performance athletes, where, where what you're talking about is not only how great they are on the golf course, but really the, the qualities that you're looking for outside of that. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to talk about this, John, for sure, because I think uh, what I would call the intangibles are just as important, uh, if not more important than the player's ability to, to, you know, shoot a low score and be a great ball striker. Uh, when I talk to players, first thing I look for is, is communication. Is the player open and willing to communicate with me um, and build a relationship with me? Because it's not like, hey, you know, we're Titleist and, and you're the player and we're going to give you product and you have to check all of these boxes. No, what we're really trying to do is, is build a relationship and, and form a partnership. Um, so communication would be, would be at the top of the list for me. Um, and then you mentioned something there that's really important is, is being a good citizen. 
Um, essentially, we want the player to be uh, an ambassador, not just for Titleist, but but for their own brand as well. Uh, so it's not just about what they do on the first tee through number 18, um, but it's, hey, if, if as they're walking through the grocery store or through the mall, um, you know, are they representing themselves in a way that that they would want you know, to see themselves on camera and be proud of? Um, are they holding the door open for the person behind them? Um, and obviously very, very tough to tell all of things at an initial conversation, but you, you can tell because um, having a strong team around the player uh, is usually a very good sign. Um, family support, coach support, um, those are all things that I, I really look for. And then the final one that is, you know, maybe a little bit of an intangible is just organization um, and and is the player organized with their practice routine and their tournament schedule and do they have a backup plan in case um, you know a tournament gets canceled for COVID or or if they missed a cut um, these are all things that you know you really don't want um, to be flying by the seat of your pants you want to have everything kind of set up so that if something doesn't go as planned you know you can quickly uh, initiate Plan B and and I'll say this John amazing how quickly. Uh, you know, players mature when they have all these, these boxes checked and, and you see it on the golf course. But what really excites me is when you see it off the golf course. You know, if there was a transcendent skill or quality or trait that great players seem to have, you know, what is it that they do more than others? And then what is it that they have maybe God given um, that others don't have? So the first piece, great players, uh, I think, may sound funny in the answer, but great players have the, just the innate ability to stay calm. And I think that's, that's a life trait. It's, it certainly helps on the golf course, but if you think about it, you know, we'll, we'll of course help off the golf course they, they stay calm under pressure. You know, they, they've worked hard their whole lives to put themselves in a moment where, where they feel the pressure. So pressure is a good thing, but how they manage that pressure. Uh, what I notice is, is the best players, uh, uh, highest performing players have this ability to stay calm, uh, stay in the moment, and then kind of go through their process. And then that leads into the to the back half of the question is, is process. Um, what you notice when you watch golf on the weekend at the highest level, but even at some of these uh, junior events is uh, the highest performers have a process and a routine um, that's almost predictable. You know, they, they do this they do this pre-shot routine, but they also do a routine uh, before they before they take their glove off, for example, or before they reach into the bag to grab that water bottle. It is a very predictable motion that helps the player uh, feel comfortable. Um, so routine and process would be very important. I remember a poignant example of that. I was at the Canadian Juniors at Westmount many years ago now, and um it was interesting. And, and, and in, in junior events, you get this really interesting thing around the leaderboard after rounds where, you know, there's a, uh, a lot of uh, energy, uh, maybe negative, um, maybe positive, but they, everyone's kind of <laughs> bustling and giggling and, and laughing and, and drinking pop. And you know what I mean? It's like very, and it was funny. I was sitting there and then I was, and I was looking at the scores myself as a coach and trying to figure out where some of my guys were at and all of this kind of stuff. Um, pardon the language there. Uh, but it, then I, it was funny because I was like, oh, where, where's Mitch, the leader, you know? And, and, uh, and sure enough, if you looked through the trees back towards the putting green, there was one person who was following his usual process, which is after the round, I put a mirror out on the putting green and I putt for 45 minutes, you know, with, with a pair of comfy shoes and a, and a Walkman on, you know? And uh, it was really telling to me that the, the one who was going to win it was the only one who was practicing. 
you know, and, and in this moment, you know, of course, everyone warmed up before the event and so on. But, you know, post round, you have a choice now. You can kind of get out of there. You can giggle with your friends. You can have a pop or whatever. And that's totally cool, of course. And the world is going to be filled with that activity. Um, but if you want to be a champion, there is a process that you follow irregardless of where and when and how. It's just a daily ritual. Um, and that really resonated for me. I'll always remember that story. So you just sort of piqued my interest there when you said that description of process as the master skill, because I, I totally see what you mean there. And I've seen it too. Um, and so uh, I guess our suggestion for future generations was would be find a process that you believe in. And it doesn't even have to be the right thing, quote unquote. It's just that it is something that you procedurally follow because I think that leads to your other one of staying calm because staying calm might be the very definition of trusting the work that you've done to overcome the obstacles you're facing. At the junior, at the juniors there, like could have been, could have been very, very easy for, for the young player to hang around the scoreboard and talk about all the great shots he hit and all, all of these things uh, could very well happen. And, Correct. And no Maybe do interviews. I. Right. So that makes me think of yeah. the word discipline and how much discipline uh, this game just yeah. demands out of every successful player. What would you say are some virtues that lie at the at the heart of the performance mind? You know, like this, these, these characters that we're talking about. So what values or ethics would you suggest they live their life by that, that differentiates them from others? You know, the, the best players in the world, they're, they're so thankful. They're thankful for, for all the help they've received. They're thankful for the opportunity to play. Uh, they're thankful for the, the facility that allows them to practice. Um, so, so being thankful and being able to take a step back and look at all the great things that they have uh, around them, regardless of what number they may shoot that day or, or where they are on the leaderboard, they have the ability to take a step back and just be thankful. So that would be kind of, I'll call it a virtue um, of, of a high performance athlete. Yep. Um, and, and then the other virtue that, that I would say is um, once again, we know golf is, is technically an individual sport, but, but the ability to, to be a good teammate uh, and, and to, to adapt mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, the idea of a team, because yes, that one individual is the one uh, striking the ball and making the putt. But we all know that, that none of that happens successfully without the ability to take, take in coaching, take in criticism, uh, and then put in the work. So uh, being a good teammate or, or uh, teamwork is, is really important and a great virtue. Which I guess speaks a little bit to your earlier commentary of communication, team support, and organization, because the sooner you realize that you're part of a team in this individual sport, the better, probably. Then you can start cultivating the traits that are going to help you navigate through this team approach, because I guess what we're saying is that no one really gets there alone alone. You just It just appears that you're alone when you sink the putt on the 18th hole. But underneath that is, firstly, your caddy. Secondly, your teammates that you played with on the team in the championships lately. Uh, thirdly, your parents, their coach, Rishi. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of members of the team that, that aren't visible. It's like an iceberg, effectively. Um, and I think that uh, your, your point is well taken, and people can certainly draw from that. In the sooner you appreciate that you're part of a team and that you build skills that help you be on a team, um, the better, even though it's ironic, I guess, in what seems like a harshly individualistic sport. Yeah, well, just before, just to add on to your point, like when when you watch a uh, a post round press conference or or you're emailing with a player about how how they played in a tournament, the word that sticks out to me when when a player uses is we, um, you know, we made that putt on eighteen or, or we decided to hit six iron off the tee. It's not it's not I, it's we. Um, and even though, yeah, once again, there's one person hitting the mm -hmm. shot. 
I love hearing that we, because it, it, it is a team approach and, and that, and when I hear that, it means that the player understands that, you know, it's a, it's a whole crew making these decisions um, and coming together and, and being successful as a team. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of uh, another virtue, what I would say is, is the ability to, to analyze. Um, so golfers are, I'll, I'll say inherently analytic people, you know, when, when a player uh, plays around a golf, maybe that they're not so happy with how they analyze that day as a whole, I think is a, is a virtue that, um, you know, a virtue that can be learned, which is, which is really good. So um, yes, you know, you have one number at the end of the scorecard, but if you dissect it further, I've seen players do it in, in, you know, six hole increments, obviously the, the standard nine hole increment. But if you look at a, a player's ability to analyze um, the more kind of in-depth numbers, how many fairways did I hit? How many greens did I hit? Cause analytics are, are a big piece and obviously a bigger piece um, as we continue down this, this path of technology. But um, a great virtual player is to be able to analyze uh, not just numbers, but analyze how they felt that day, how they, what they did the night before that could have led into how they felt uh, that day during the round of golf. Um, and then as they analyze, are they able to pinpoint one or two things that they plan on doing differently the next time around? Um, so, Hey, maybe instead of waiting until the 13th hole to eat that banana and drink that water, I'm going to try doing that on, on the seventh tee and seeing what that does and what type of performance that yields next time around. Um, so being able to self-reflect and, and analyze performance is a, is a great virtue. And I think it was, I, I was really refreshed, uh, you know, just a moment ago when not only, you know, the obvious analytics, which is the objective data of like how many greens and so on, but you quickly move to what you called the intangibles as well. We can analyze those, right? We can analyze our state. We can analyze, um, you know, the preparation uh, the night before and, and whether or not it was an antecedent to success uh, and all of those uh, more reflective pieces, not only the numbers of how many putts did you have, but also how often did you feel really confident and committed to the shot and so on. I've noticed that as well. They, they seem to have a, a facility describing their state, even in reflection. And I, I think that is, uh, like you point out, one of the master skills of a, of a very fine athlete is they're extremely sensitive to variables that others perhaps aren't. And, and they're able to reflect and analyze them and, and then produce results in the future, you know, with that, with the clay from that modeling, right? You know, and that, that becomes really powerful uh, for sure. So I'm, I'm really happy actually to hear that tone. It just sort of reinforces some of my belief systems um, as well. But uh, the ball fitting and, and the golf ball, I guess, in fairness, what is it about the Titleist ball that makes it stand out so much higher than the rest? For me, when asked that question or, or when talking golf ball, uh, it really comes down to how things got started um, and then the continuous drive to improve and maintain that spot as the number one ball in golf. Um, so dating back all the way to 1932, without going into the full story, Phil Young, who's the founder, uh, you know, playing around a golf, misses a putt and, and strongly believes, hey, it can't be me. It must be the golf ball. He felt like he hit a great putt. Another champion mind, another champion, another champion mindset. It can't be me. Yeah, exactly. it, must, it must be the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, and, and at the time he had, he had access to x-ray equipment and, and was able to x-ray the golf ball that, that uh, veered offline um, and found out that, that the core of the product, the core of the golf ball uh, was not centered. Um, so anytime you have a core that's not centered, well, and get inconsistent flight, inconsistent roll. 
So to him, that was a moment of, okay, I've, I've recognized a problem. I can, I can work towards the solution. And that's how things really got started uh, all the way back in, in the early 1930s. And then, and then you fast forward kind of all the way to, to 2000, uh, where, where Pro V1 was first launched. And in between there, every single product that came out was, was a, a step towards development and, and producing the best flying golf ball, the most consistent performing golf ball. Um, and along those lines, you know, there was new learnings. There was, there was deeper investments in R&D. Um, more and more patents were put up on the wall. Uh, so all of these things, um, you know, kind of sum up to where we are today, where, as you said, John, um, you look at the, at the best tours in the world and, and, you know, approximately 80% of the time, uh, Titleist golf ball is the golf ball that is used to win the event. Um, and, and so a lot goes into your let, life. Let alone Rishi, pardon, pardon. Pardon the interruption, but I but I find I mean obviously that's a striking statistic for sure the eighty percent one but but also if you look how many are using it among the top twenty five I mean that's just outlandish it's 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 always the the strong majority always and, and to build on that point it's it's how many players are are using a Titleist golf ball you know and that are not on contract or that maybe on contract and, and they, that are with Ping or something yeah exactly exactly for sure yeah. for sure they and, and so. <laughs> That just further proves that, you know, performance matters. Um, you know, when I'm out in the, yeah. talking to consumers about golf ball, one of the things you'll hear me say all the time is um, it is the most important piece of equipment because it's the only piece of equipment you're using on every single shot. And, and I know it sounds silly to say kind of the obvious, but when I say that, you can really start to see the, uh, you know, the, the, the light turn on in people's minds saying, you're right. Like I shouldn't have seven or eight different models in my golf bag. It should just be one golf ball because I know what it's going to do, or I can rely on its performance. And so, so just jumping back, like, Hey, what, what makes, um, a Titleist golf ball, the number one ball in golf, I think it's, it's really just the company approach, the all hands-on approach to making sure that, you know, uh, we not only produce the number one ball in golf, but we, we make sure it's known. Uh, we fit the product. We have a product that's best in class in each category. And, and really it comes down to pride. Uh, you'll notice when we talk about golf balls, there's a, there's a level of pride that kind of just pours out of all of us um, because it is, it is such an exciting product. And when, when you think about a golf ball, it's, you know, most cases it's white, it's round, it, it has dimples, but there's so much more to it. And when you learn about all the different components that go into it, that is so exciting. I guess the need for a consistent ball is the birth of a very thorough and creative approach to innovation. Is that fair? And then, and the title is if they're in the lead, I mean, yes, they're in the lead on Daryl surveys, but more importantly, they're in the lead in thoroughness, creativity, attention to detail and, and innovation. Is that fair? Absolutely. And the, the proving piece there would be just how many quality assurance checks each golf ball goes through. And if you ever have an opportunity uh, to go through the ball plant on a tour, uh, there's a virtual ball plant on the website as well. You can really just see how much care and control exists within the ball plant, um, not just with the machinery and, and you know, all the, the kind of raw materials that go into it, but also with the associates, right? There's associates with uh, 25 plus years of, of, of experience um, that, that really just love what they do and take pride in every single new model and every single different skew that exists um, and, and won't allow for a golf ball that is even 
1% deficient to, to get stamped and get put into that box. At the turn of the century, there was an interesting surge in overall driver distance and likely all the other clubs, although they weren't being measured in the same way. And, and some would trace that surge to the birth of the Pro V1 golf ball. Could you, could you speak a little bit, Rishi? I think that is a monumental moment in the history of the game, actually, as we'll, we'll probably reflect on. Um, could you speak a little bit to the, to the emergence of the Pro V1 and sort of, I guess, why, why is it so unique and how did it change everything? Uh, a cool story for us, a, a really, really big moment in time uh, for golf, as you mentioned, but uh, Las Vegas, uh, Nevada Open in the year 2000, um, you know, a whopping 47 players decided to put Pro V1 in play. And what we know about tour players is, you know, they're not going to make a switch in product uh, at a whim or on a whim. They're, they're going to, you know, be extremely analytical with it. Um, and chances are, you know, they're going to wait till the right moment in time to make a switch. Uh, and they're not ever going to do anything rash unless it's going to make a drastic impact, positive impact on their performance. Uh, so for 47 players to, to switch golf balls, you know, it is a really cool story. Las Vegas Open, 47 players put the ball in play, uh, pick up a win that week. Um, and then the golf ball is forced to come to market a few months earlier than originally planned, just because the demand was so high. Probably one hits, hits the shelves uh, and very, very quickly uh, becomes the number one ball in golf. So as you mentioned, year 2000, super important for us. Very, very cool storytelling opportunity there for us. And then, you know, more and more players started putting no, this golf. No offense, play. but what's I think most important for us to pick up on is that in the year 1999, the professional is also the best ball in golf. Like, it's not like there was a problem, you know what I mean? And yet with this wonderful process, this Kaizen approach, consistent and continuous growth that you personally and your company seem to, to embody. It's amazing, right? That what that all of a sudden, what was unbelievably good got unbelievably better. Sorry to interrupt. No, I think that's that's a very valid point, and that it's just the the constant need and want to be better, and knowing that hey, there, there's always room for improvement, and, and let's let's be the first ones to improve, um, and and let's take a hard look in the mirror and and just be better. Um, and how that's achieved? Well, uh, obviously, you know, lots of time, effort, investment in R&D. And then one thing that's always stuck with me is just, just how many patents um, exist. Uh, you know, we have a patent wall. Uh, it's more of a patent uh, hallway uh, extended around the corner type of thing at our, at our head office in, in Fairhaven. Um, I remember my first visit there, I was blown away from, from almost floor to ceiling patents. And then just when you think you've seen them all, uh, you make a left turn and, and there's another full hallway of them. Um, so that that's a huge piece to, to being able to uh, continuously improve and try new things. What do you think it is about golf that is so compelling? You know, what, what is what is the intrinsic joy and the mystical quality of golf that, that keeps people coming back? Yeah, I, I love that question. And, and I, I think about myself and, and what drew me into the game. Um, it's the ability to see a, a tangible improvement um, and, and to feel like you're, you, you're competitive and whether that's just competitive with yourself, uh, that's completely fine. I remember, uh, you know, first getting into the game and, and going to the driving range and, you know, uh, first couple shots or first hundreds of shots, not so good. And then you finally get one airborne or get one down the hill or past the red flag. And it's like, wow, I'm improving. And I can see that, uh, with my own eyes. 
Um, and then you come back the next time and now the goal is no longer to get the ball airborne. It's, it's to hit it a hundred yards and land it close to that red flag. And as time goes mm-hmm. on, you, you can continuously improve, compete against yourself. Um, and so that's really a, a, a draw for golf is regardless of your skill level, there's an opportunity to compete with yourself um, and, and see tangible improvement um, in, in relatively short periods of time. The mastery process is, is compelling and, and golf among all the sports that I played. And I know you've got an athletic background as well, but you know, it really does stand out, doesn't it? In, in that category um, somehow because of the loneliness, perhaps of it, you know, this idea of like challenging yourself, as you put it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's for life unlike the basketball where you kind of need someone to play against and the, you know, and all the other uh, disciplines can be a little bit more challenging that way. So that's why I think as I aged in the game, it became more of that, the values of the martial arts became apparent discipline, as you mentioned, all of those things. It's this, it's this idea of self-betterment and self-improvement that's so compelling in it. So uh, certainly I agree. Rapid fire, we call it, which is you have a choice. You have to make a choice. Are you going to do X or Y? And so I'm going to run you through our, our famous 10. This will kind of conclude the time together, Rishi. Had, uh, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, formally I expressed one of the high performance um, skills that you would refer to, which is gratefulness. And so I want to suggest that I'm very, very grateful for you taking the time out of, I can imagine, a very busy schedule right now. Uh, anytime. I look forward to, to the rapid fire now. All right. When you're on the golf course and you're playing your favorite par three, are you going to play a cut or a draw? I'm playing a cut all day, every day. <laughs> By choice, I hope. Um, yeah, are yeah. you going to be wearing a glove or no glove? I'm a glove guy. I got uh, I got big hands uh, <laughs> and, they, and they, they tend to sweat, so I need the glove. I need the traction. <laughs> Perfect. And thanks for the imagery. The long part three on the back nine. Are you using the old hybrid or are you going to pull one of the long irons old school? I'm going to go long iron uh, only because a hybrid is something I've struggled with uh, my entire life. So I'm going to try and uh, hit that long iron and, and uh, pray to God that I find the center of the face. Um, are you going to walk or are you going to take a cart? Probably going to take a cart. I'd love to say I'm going to walk, but if you were to ask me right now, I'm, I'm taking a cart. Uh, is there going to be music pumping in the cart or no music? Absolutely. That's, uh, that's one of the benefits of the cart is you can throw the speaker in the cup holder and, and off you go. And would you describe your approach to the golf course as a grip it and rip it or a more uh, tactical, methodical? I would say tactical and, and methodical. I, I like to, uh, you know, put a fair bit of thought into how I want to play each hole. Um, you know, whether it goes to plan or not, I, I can't, can't, uh, can't promise anything, but I definitely give it a, a fair bit of thought. The Bushnell or Garmin in it, or are you more of a field player? Definitely feel player. If I can, if I can see a plate uh, in the ground and, and kind of uh, estimate what, what it would be, that's the route I'm going. I think I can kind of get in my own way sometimes if I know the exact number. I, uh, am, in, I am very empathetic to that opinion. Um, not that it matters. Uh, would you love to play a Lynx course or a Parkland course? I'm a, I'm a Lynx course guy for sure. Will you play at sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunrise want to try and, uh, get it in and, and then, uh, get back to whatever else is going on. It's also, to me, it's the most calming time to play golf. And calmness was a centerpiece of, of one of your raison d'être with the sport anyway, uh, let alone high performance and so on. So, uh, I can certainly understand that. And, uh, there is, there is really nothing like that first crack of the dawn, eh, uh, with, with the golf season. Um, there's the colors, the, the smells, the sounds, uh, all of that stuff is, is quite unique at that time. So thank you for sharing. And, and, and then once again, Rishi, thanks so much for your time today and, uh, and for helping us out. 
Absolutely. My pleasure, John. And, and thanks again for all you do. This was a lot of fun. Amazing. Such a cool conversation. Again, hearing some themes that we are becoming more and more familiar with, particularly this this idea of gratitude. And as much as John already thanked Rishi, I will I will thank Rishi as well for taking the time and collaborating and sharing with the Pure Golf Collective. Certainly, I think there will be some great discussion and dialogue created from his his interview and time with John. But this ongoing commonalities of skills and process uh, along a journey here continue to be spoken about and expressed, which is really awesome for myself and John, who are passionate about this subject matter and express the importance of these themes with the people that we engage with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's in the studio or on the driving range or through a Zoom discussion. That pretty much wraps it up for us this week. Let us know your thoughts. Would love to hear from you. Share with us on Instagram. Share the episode with your friends and make sure you're checking out thepuregolfcollective.com. Get on there and share some pictures expressing and showing off the reasons why this game is so great. Like our friend Nathaniel, you will have the opportunity to be rewarded with a cool prize. And until next week, keep celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. 